Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning, let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And without further ado, here is the episode. Take care. Hey, how's it going? We have with us um, a guest. Uh, Someone sent me his videos over on youtube and i really really like them like even uh if i wasn't always like in 100 percent agreement i always like anybody who i can kind of follow the thought process and know they're not just saying stuff to say it like everything uh he was saying i thought he had a very good basis for uh saying it so i meant to uh, have him on but i've been bad at scheduling lately so it took longer than i wanted but uh, we have mud from bitter dose tv now able to be found on Actify Press. If you don't mind just, you know, letting the people know who you are, where to find you, anything you think is worth them knowing about you. Okay, yeah. Uh, they call me Mud. Um, you know, um, I've been kind of in uh, the activist space for a couple of years now. You can find my socials, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, all at of lineage. Um, yeah, just one word of lineage. And, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to push uh, forward the, the message of reparations because that's essentially what my politics are about. But uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. And you had some pretty good videos around the time of the, the election. And you were uh, talking about, if I remember correctly, on the Bitter Dose site that you had at the time, you were talking about Bernie Sanders and the white leftists. And I thought that was some pretty interesting, interesting um, commentary. Yeah. I mean, I think that you there there was a, a a vacuum as far as like critiques for the left when it comes to 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 race. Um, it's kind of like there's been a lot of people that just kind of given up on fighting on the race front and just went totally in with class. And I just kind of want to dis- disrupt that a little bit. Yeah, and it was it was interesting because uh, personally. Uh, going into it, I wasn't crazy with how uh, Bernie was talking about about race. But, you know, on the other hand, I was one of those people that was like, uh, I really wouldn't mind those student loans getting wiped either. So it was like, I'm not like caping for him, but if anybody had to make it, you know, I'd rather it be him. But the longer it was going on, a lot of how a lot of those white leftists and class reductionist types were carrying on. Uh, started really kind of making it tough. I was like, oh, you're making it really tough. Uh, you know, because one thing I didn't like, I didn't like all that um, having to put a cape on for him and just do a lot of class reductionist talk. And I felt he had a lot of that going on in his in his camp. But then when it came time to talk to Latinos and stuff, he wasn't really giving them that lift all boats. Uh, you know, I was wondering like uh, what your thoughts about, were about that because... Uh, he wasn't talking about. I'll try. Actually, maybe you remember better than me. What was what was he saying on reparations when he did when he did address it? Um, well, he kind of pivoted to making it about undeserved communities, 
Um, at first, he was just saying, I don't know what reparations means, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's kind of where he started and where he ended is uh, essentially um, we can we can fix the all these issues as far as the racial wealth gap and all this stuff with the same um, same policies that he's been pushing the whole time. You know, it, 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 it's kind of like with Andrew Yang, where every answer he had was UBI, <laughs> you know. It, it became a thing where every answer Bernie had was the $15 minimum wage, the um, uh, Medicare for all. It was like all this stuff that like, you know, it, I'm not mad at, you know, I think of all the options we had, he probably would have been the best as far as like outcomes. But I think that what would have happened is that the race issue would have just got obscured. Like it, it, it just would have been pushed to the background and the bottom would have been lifted, but um, black people who descend from American chattel slavery would not be lifted from the bottom. And it put a lot of people who who understood that, you know, he was probably the best candidate, better than Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren and some of these other people. It put him in a weird position because, um, you know, we were paying attention. Like the community was paying attention. And if you were a black person that supported Bernie Sanders, you had to come to us and try to explain that shit. And, you know, a lot of people had a hard time trying to do that dance. Yeah, I mean, the landscape really changed. Uh, the, the landscape changed in two ways. The landscape changed, I think, with the rise of even a more center-based white left to begin with. Like, the idea of Bernie Sanders even being viable, I think, was very new. But also, uh, things like ADOS, I think, was a very, very different thing from that no one really had a blueprint for either i thought that was it was encouraging in a lot of ways and this idea that this kind of uh stranglehold that the democrats and republicans had on everything was going to be loosened up but then biden won i just feel like a lot of people have like gone back to sleep and i'm really kind of curious and i have no theories on this myself but i'm really kind of curious about how a lot of these new political spaces are going to kind of pivot, like whether it's um, the ADOS or the white left and things like that. Because I think in a weird way, having Trump in power kind of made people more and more comfortable with the idea of being radical. And I'm seeing in real time, a lot of people kind of being like, oh, it's back to normal. Everything's okay again. There's a lot of going back to sleep like like that wasn't happening before. Yeah, I mean, um, with Trump in office, we all we all had to, you know, wake up and realize, wait, maybe we do need to know a little bit more about this political stuff. You know, I think that for you and I, we've probably been political junkies way longer than, you know, this election cycle. So we've been tuned in. But, you know, for a lot of our people, what they needed was a boogeyman, <laughs> you know, somebody to, to be afraid about, to actually care about this stuff. And now that he's gone, you know, like you said, a lot of people have, have gone to sleep. I think that we're, where we're at is a very interesting place because um, the left kind of tried to push through just a, a class thing for the second time with Bernie Sanders. It didn't work. So we would think that they would be retooling and trying to come up with a different angle. But, and, you know, as you've probably seen, like I've seen, you know, watching their shows and you know, staying in tune with what they're saying, their message hasn't really changed much. They still want to, you know, 
say, okay, well, let's just attach Black Lives Matter to, you know, uh, universal health care. And that's going to be the, the thing that's going to get us in with, with the black vote. And this, and I don't think we're at that point anymore. I think that we're at a point where, you know, even if ADOS doesn't, doesn't make it to the forefront as far as like the political discourse, we have uh, changed the, the way a lot of people are talking about this stuff to where I think that the next person that is, you know, running for for president as a Democrat, they're actually going to have to promise the black community stuff that is specifically for the black community. Um, we have we have put them in a position where I don't think they could get away with anything less. Here's the question I have that I don't know the answer to at all. Like I don't even have an opinion on it because I've been struggling with it, and I've been trying to figure out is the answer to start. Okay, like with this black buffer class, right, is the answer to kind of go over their heads and try to come straight at, you know, the white people that are their handlers and everything and try to speak straight at them? Or do we need to have some kind of black civil war, so to speak, in in the political sense, you know, to uh, kind of sort things out and get these types of black buffer class out of the paint? And then come because one of the one of the problems that I feel that we have is that there's a lot of like sabotage that happens from these people with this Black Lives Matter or whatever that kind of ends up obscuring a lot of the issues. Or they can put like put a face on and say, "Hey, so and so is speaking to the black community, um, and I'm here to tell you." And it's someone that you know black people don't rock with like that. Definitely. Yeah, so uh, I, I was wondering which which one you think is a, is the tactic that black people need to take. Uh, well, I, honestly, I think that we need to do a little bit of both. I think that um, what's what's what we've kind of been seeing is that you know the black buffer class, you know the boule or however you know people want to describe them. Um, we have been coming at them directly, and we have been calling them out, and we've been letting everyone know that they don't truly represent our interests. They, they don't speak the way we speak. They're not talking about the issues that we're talking about. And I think that we've seen a situation where they have been undermined, but they still held on. And, you know, I, I don't know. It really is in the ball. You know, the, the ball is in the hands of white people as far as how they're going to react to all of this stuff, because I know they see what's going on. Yeah, true. Um, I, I know that they see it. And the question really is to them, like, do they want to keep pretending that the people that they they've appointed are representing our interests, our interests and are going to be able to fool us into to to supporting them anyways? Um, Or are they going to realize that, you know, maybe they need to elevate people who are, you know, really speaking for like speaking the same language that we're speaking or um, just give in to, you know, our demands, really. Like, honestly, I think that we've been pushed into a position where we've kind of looked at representational politics as the only the only right way to go about this as far as, like, the Black community is concerned. But I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that we need to move around, move away from all of that. Black faces and high places has been done, and it really hasn't benefited us. What we need to focus on is black policy, and that's what we need to push forward to these white people whenever they come to us. 
uh, we need to tell them, like, look, we need the policy. We, we, we've had the symbolism. You've given, that, given us that for decades. And now it's time for the policy. You know, and maybe we can erase that whole concept uh, of, of black people speaking for us as like a, a figurehead and just have the policy speak for us. I think I think uh, I think what you said is um, very easy to uh, gloss over. But something you said, I think, is very true where you said uh, basically and correct me if I, I don't want to restate what you're saying incorrectly, but uh, that basically these white people know what they're doing. Like they're not being fooled when like they don't sincerely believe that the people that they're appointing as spokespeople um, really do have a finger on the pulse of the black community. And I think that's a very important point because I think some people think that these white people are being, being duped, you know? And, yeah. and I think what you're saying, I think what you're saying is really, really true that it's, it's a feature, not a bug that these, that the people that they hire to be the black faces and white uh, spaces have a certain amount of disconnection to the black community, because if, if, if anything, they wouldn't even make it that far to begin with. Well, I mean, I think that we we've 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 gotten to a point where we understand that a lot of these people that are on like the conservative side, the Republican side, we understand these these people are tokens that are just put in a position to say what the white people want to say, but uh, feel uncomfortable saying it in public. So they just have someone, you know, as their mouthpiece Um, with. With uh, uh, the left, it's, it's essentially the same thing. It's just that, you know, it's more of like, let's find these black people to repeat the class reductionist position, you know? It, and I don't know. I think that that they know that, that this is a game that is being played as far as the people that are actually in the position to pick these, these uh, tokens on the left. Um, I, I think that the disconnect or like the... Where, where we don't want to like misrepresent what is happening is that I don't know if the white public, the white voters, the, you know, the general public who is not necessarily connected to the politics um, in, in the way that we are, I don't know if they understand that that's what's happening. But yeah, I, I'm pretty point. sure that all these people that host these shows, all these people that uh, you know are connected to the DSA and the Democrat Party, all these little organizations, they get it. They know what they're doing. They know that uh, for a lot of their spaces, there aren't any black people and they, they get their little token blacks to, to go in there and, and do the same thing that the, the, that the right is doing. Yeah. That's, that's the interesting thing is like, uh, people kind of see it really clearly on the, on the right, but it happens in every camp basically. It, but, but you know, it's, it's kind of interesting, right? Because, um, I'm personally not ADO West. I'm of uh, Haitian American descent, but I uh, I do like a lot of the dialogue about a lot of the diaspora war stuff. In that, let me rephrase that. I liked it at first because I thought, okay, this is stuff that needs to be talked about, you know. Yeah. And and like me personally, if I get asked about uh, reparations and stuff, I always say like, uh, you know, I support reparations and all that, but it's not really my place to be the person to be asked about that you should you know get like someone in that space on your panel to really talk about it because i really don't believe in the idea of uh because i know 
lot of white people, whether they sincerely believe it or not, like to kind of treat, you know, black people interchangeably in everything. Uh-huh. And and I always kind of say, like, uh, I, I support reparations and everything, but I also want to make clear that I'm not uh, of that of that descent. So I'm not I don't want to let it be seen even by omission that I'm talking about something that directly uh, has to do has to do with myself and everything. But uh, I want to know like, how you feel about where the diaspora war talk is happening now, because I feel like it's kind of stuck in a circle. And yes. on Clubhouse, I'm sure you see it all the time, but those rooms, like they'll be going on for hours, and I just don't know if they're making any progress. And I want to know uh, how you thought, where you thought it was going and where you think it's going now, and if you think um, there's still progress and constructive talk being, hap- being happening in those spaces. Uh, um, I'm not really a fan of where we're at right now. Uh, I, it, it has devolved from like high level political conversations that are uncomfortable to just straight culture war stuff now where, you know, people are talking shit about each other's food and <laughs> goofy yeah. shit that, you know, goofy shit that's not really going to amount to anything to anyone. And I'm not really into all of that stuff. Uh, I used to go into those rooms early on just so that, you know, I can have a, you know, a dialogue about things about like, you know, um, disaggregating uh, the data as far as, you know, black people are concerned and, and splitting us up into different ethnicities so that we can actually look at the statistics um, and see how the descendants of, of American chattel slavery are actually doing in this country right now um, and have a, like a clear view of that. Um, but what it, it's it's become a mess right now. I don't even go into those rooms on Clubhouse like that. Yeah, you know, I go in there for a little bit of entertainment just to hear people talk trash. You know, yeah, trash can be fun. Stuff. Some of the jokes are gonna be funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Other than that, like, but I feel like is it just me or in the beginning did it seem to be doing good in Clubhouse? Like I feel in the beginning there used to be some good movements. I don't know. And then to me, I don't know if this is your experience. I feel like after there was a little bit of infighting in the ADOS space. Something happened in those rooms where maybe because there was less of a united front or whatever, but something happened in those rooms where they kind of, I feel like after whatever kind of internal drama happened in the uh, ADOS space, which um, I don't want to like discuss in a gossipy way. Like, in, you know, I try and keep it like broad because I don't want to, you know, yeah. drill too down into that. But after that, those rooms kind of, uh, the diaspora war rooms kind of changed too. I don't know if you've seen something similar or if you, if you see the, the start happening somewhere else. Well, I, I agree. I think that, um, I don't necessarily know if that's where it started to go left as far as the discussions. I think that uh, a few things started happening at the same time. Um, of course, there was like the fracturing of our group. Then, you know, you have people who hear what we're saying for the first time and then it's like telephone, you know, where, you know, they're trying to repeat our talking points, but, you know, they're limited as far as understanding our actual position. So they're going in the rooms and just saying any old thing. And then we got people who are just clearly trolling. We got people who, you know, have hateful beliefs about one side or the other and they just want to get in the mix to, to stir trouble. You know, I think that we had all of those things happening at the same time. And it's, it's it, it almost feels like uh, 
I don't know, like uh, one of those situations where I don't even want to describe it this way, but like uh, like a gang war, like because yeah. obviously I'm not I'm not, you know, I'm not pushing for anyone to, you know, I'm not even for the insults. But I think it's to a point where, you know, like uh, like with gangs, someone got hurt uh, a decade ago and now everyone in the neighborhood is 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 in their colors and we're fighting and we don't even remember what we're fighting about anymore. Yeah, but, <laughs> you know? but one was funny. I think even some of the insults can be fun if it's just like friendly snapping. Cause, cause some of those, yeah. some of those rooms, you know, they would have like jokes in them, but you know, they would be okay. But then people started like taking it like really seriously. And then it was just not fun anymore. Yeah. People get mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's one thing where we're just having a roasting session, but you know, obviously, a lot of this stuff is dealing with people's, you know, um, it's just it's just something that people are passionate about and emotional about, especially with the fact that all of this is like intertwined with, you know, the reparation shit that, you know, people feel like you I don't know how to really describe it. I just think that people are on edge and, you know, they can't just have like a, a simple roasting session. It always turns left and people make it serious. And that's why I can't even, I, even with those rooms, I can't even indulge too long because it, it, I always hear something that I don't like and then it turns me off and then yeah. I start feeling a certain way about, and it, I don't even want to do all of that. Really, I just want to change policy. Yeah. And that's kind of what disappointed me about Clubhouse in general, not just with the diaspora war space, but just in general, like when I first got on there, I thought it was going to be. I think the key is that there wasn't that many people in the beginning. So it was kind of almost curated and there was a lot of constructive conversation. But now, like, even if you don't get into the outright toxicity, when it's not toxic, and this is, I think, the flip side of Clubhouse, there's just a lot of platitudes that don't actually mean anything. So it's like, if it's not being toxic, it's just someone like, you know, man, the real problem is white supremacy. We got to get together. It's like, okay, that's nice. (laughs) How do we get together? Like, that, that that's not a solution like everybody no one in this room doesn't think that everybody has to get together or wouldn't like getting together they just don't know how to do it because they have too many grievances with each other like just chiming in just to say yo we got to have accountability and everyone's got to uh work together because the real enemy is like white supremacy like that's a nice applause line but um what's the nuts and bolts about how to do it like you know uh definitely yeah I mean, that's that's the thing, like a lot of people I've gotten a lot of pushback as far as um, our position with reparations. People feel like, well, well, is that the only thing that you you guys are fighting for? Like, um, like they they always want to come and criticize our position, even though it's a clear thing. Like it like I could sit there and go through the steps to actually achieve that goal. Um, and then it becomes a, a situation where I realize I'm talking to someone who's saying, like, we need to abolish every system, every oppress- oppressive system on the globe. And it's like, well, damn, like, how the fuck do we do that? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's I mean, you ever expected of black people too? like people don't ask like the leftists, like, hey, is all you care about class? You know, like, or are you going to liberate everyone around the world? Like, is this this is weird in ingrained idea that black people are supposed to save everyone yeah and unfortunately i i don't think the influence of the left has been helpful because when i look back at like or like our like in the past and i listen to our leaders give speeches 
like Malcolm X, he said, keep it plain. He was very direct. He, he's very clear about his problem, like the problem we have and some of the things that we need to like address. He's very clear about that stuff. And then when I listen to people now, it sounds like they're giving me word salad. They're giving me a million buzzwords they heard at some DSA meeting or on some college campus and don't really fully understand what they're arguing for. They're just trying to sound like the people they heard talk before them sound. We're not getting to a point where we are actually communicating um, what the actual problems are. Like I have, like I've been in rooms where people are trying to uh, explain white supremacy to white people, and all they do is try to shut them down and say white privilege over and over again. It's like no, like let's build up this 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 case. Let's talk about slavery. Let's talk about black code laws. Let's talk about redlining. Let's talk about segregation. And then we could even go international and we could talk about like some of the shit that was uh, uh, spoken about in the, um, that book. Uh, what is it called? Um, Confessions of an Economic Hitman or something like that. Oh, yeah. Where, yeah, where they, they go to these these countries and, and they set up the system where they have this fucked up loan um, that they that they want them to take uh, to build up some infrastructure then, you know, um, they don't even hire locals to, to, to build up the infrastructure. The person that's giving you a loan is sending his own workers out there to do the work. And what you're stuck with is a situation where you have this thing and you're in debt. So now there's a situation where they can extract resources from your, from your country. And it's set up to where there is a certain race of people who remain at the top. And that's the type of conversation, like, that's how we break this stuff down. Like, we, we, we explain... Like, just look at our government. Look how many positions are held by, you know, white people. Look at the Fortune 500. Look at that list and see, you know, who is running all these companies that 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 are the lifeblood of, of our economy. And it's clear that it's one group of people that has the majority of the power. Uh, and, you know, they're trying to hold on to that power. And that's white supremacy. Like, that's if I explain that to a white person, what exactly are they going to argue with me about? Now, if I talk to them about white privilege over and over again, they're going to argue with me about, well, what exactly does that mean? What exactly is privilege? What privilege do I have? Like goofy conversations that don't really get to the meat of what we're talking about or what the issue is. Why do you think people engage in those conversations? Like, like I have my own ideas about why some people do it. I was wondering what you think uh, on both sides, the black side and the white side. Um, I think there's a lot of grandstanding on both sides. I think that, you know, people just wanting to to look intelligent, look like they're making the winning argument. And a lot of times we already know how those arguments are going to go. Like we've, we've seen the script online over and over again. We know word for word what each side is going to say, and it doesn't actually lead to a solution. And I think that what black people are going to have to do is we're going to have to be the people that pivot and actually, you know, really talk about solutions and talk about solutions from our perspective. Because I don't know, I've been looking at like how our politics have been going and the, the elephant in the room is race with every issue. Like we're dealing with with one side that is like basically they're trying to do everything to to set up a situation where black people can't benefit. And then we have another side who's trying to set up a situation where they can do whatever they want, but they get to ignore black people. Like we have to break that up. 
because obviously neither side is going to try to give us solutions that work for us. Yeah. You know, like I, I feel like for a lot of people who engage in those conversations, they either don't really want to end uh, white supremacy or anything like that on the black or white side, or even worse, they've kind of given up and it's a way to kind of act like you're, you haven't given up, you know, like, Hey, if I yeah. sit around and have this um, pedantic, you know, jargon filled conversation, it feels like I'm doing something. And, and also I think, for, I think for white people, like, because they know it's not going to actually change anything because this person is just, wants to argue over like stupid things like representation and and figureheads and privilege and stuff to them that's the kind of argument that they can deal with all day because it's like they're in the lead of the if it's a basketball game they have like a 200 point lead if suddenly you want to just start doing a passing contest that's fine with them because it's just running the clock down just just let's keep passing this ball around all day long i'm in the lead this is this is okay you're the only one getting hurt by this time wasting because you're in the you know so i think it's just it's just a lot of like you said i think grandstanding was a good word but i think another thing too i think a lot of these people they don't really want to dismantle white supremacy or anything but they want like a seat at the table or a cash app donation i've seen in some of those clubhouse rooms they'll be <laughs> arguing with the white person then it'll be they'll be like you know what you need to do is pay us for our emotional labor yeah. and start cash apping us <laughs> in this clubhouse room and it's like okay you don't give a damn about anything systemic you're just trying to do a victim bullying you're trying to use the yeah. victim status you know so i saw one girl say i think you're playing white savior and your uh your anti-blackness is showing and you should be cash apping us and i'm like oh this is extortion <laughs> yeah i mean i think that your analogy was actually perfect uh, as far as like just having a, a passing contest because that's exactly what it is. It, it's it's like, and and the thing is, is that we're we have people over here that think they're doing something because they do a no look behind the back pass. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like they think they actually did something to to, to change the situation yeah, because exactly. they did it a little bit fancier than the last person. Um, but. It's yeah, like one it, of the teams does. that passes the ball like crazy and they got the highlight reels, but then you look at the score and they lost. <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I, I try to have discussions with white people where I'm very specific about what exactly I want accomplished. And a lot of times people look at what we're doing as strange because we'll even talk to Republicans. We'll talk to anybody because the idea is like, we just need to get this message out there so everyone understands um, that this is this is something that's real, that's out there. Like we need everyone to be on the same page. Um, and people look at that like we're doing something crazy because we're, we're actually having a conversation with Republicans instead of just barking at them and showing them our fangs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and it's just like so weird, this idea where there's a lot of people who really think that democrats or anybody really loves them i always think of john henry clark yeah. like uh we have no friends and everything but there's a lot of people i think they're in they're in politics to be liked by whatever the preferred group of white people is and that's not what politics is supposed to be it's supposed to be getting resources for your group you know yeah, yeah. it's and about power yeah exactly it's about power and, and you know what's funny is like uh 
Alicia Garza with Ice Cube, you know, she was saying stuff and she said it to him and she said it like in other spaces as well, where she's like, you know, this is uh, politics is not a transaction. Politics is not, <laughs> you know, it's like, what do you mean it's not? <laughs> why isn't like she didn't even bother to explain why, because she knows there's a lot of people who buy into that, that she can just say. And I always wanted to explain why is it not a transaction? And if it's not a transaction, like, what is it? But she was going everywhere and I was watching her interviews and it was like as new age as the secret. Like it was, it was nothing tangible. It was all like, you know, we got to be in community with each other and we have to build spaces where people feel safe and whatever. I'm like, this is not politics. This is just the secret. This is, um, you know, some new age woo described as politics, but that's why they have her there. And the thing is, is that they all understand that it's a transaction. I mean, it's just that they don't understand that it's a transaction for us because they have no problem having these arguments about how Republicans just want to do tax cuts for their wealthy friends. And yeah, that's that's the that's the transaction that they set up. That's (laughs) the transaction, you know, like so obviously what they're trying to do is, is, is you know, get something. They, they vote for people, they spend their money, and they're trying to get someone in office that is going to kick back to them. So if we are using our votes to get people in office, we need to be doing the same thing. And the problem is, is that no one wants to really have that conversation. They understand politics is a transaction when it's time, when it's a real estate transaction, like Patrice, Patrice Culler getting four houses. Politics is a transaction uh, then when it's, when it's that or getting signed to book deals and everything like, yeah. So it's like an individual transaction for them. That's, that's the problem. But they, they understand it's a transaction when it's time to line their pockets. Unfortunately, exactly. but, um, that leads to another question I want to talk about is what you think is going to happen in the space of black politics. Cause a lot of it is in flux right now. And one of the big problems I think has happened is that because a lot of these uh, liberal and mainstream spaces didn't want to vet anybody. They've kind of opened the door for the right wing to do it. So now you have places like the New York Post and Daily Caller and all these right wing spaces um, calling out Patrice Cullors and others for being scammers and all this stuff. But And one defense they're trying to do is, oh, you're letting the right divide us. But people like us have been complaining about these people being grifters for the longest time. And you just told us to shut up and, you know, say whatever, call people hoteps, black MAGA, call them whatever you can. And now, because you didn't want to vet these people, you've pretty much given like a layup to the right. Like you're giving up, giving them like the easiest target on earth. And I'm wondering what happens in the black space from here on. Did he just find another, uh, replacement like a like like prop up that amanda gorman girl or so is that even gonna gonna work or is is the lane open for you know an actual alternative this time well um i think that the the prime example of this is is um i hate to be like this but like what's happened to kamala kamala how do how do we say her name i, I think it's kamala i i, I used to call kamala. it kamala but i think it's kamala yeah, I mean, we saw that they tried to anoint her as the second Barack Obama, um, and then during the primaries, like she really didn't gain any support. And I think that that's going to be a trend that's going to happen. You know, I, I you know, I specifically talk about the left, but overall for Democrats, 
they're going to keep trying to prop up these people. And I think that it's, it, they're not going to stop for the next four years. I think that the only way, the only thing that's going to get them to stop is if, you know, they, lo- they lose the presidency next time, like because black people didn't show up or whatever the case. I think that's the only thing that's really going to get them st- to stop. Now, as far as the peep, the black people that are on the ground that are that have been in these spaces that have been presented as the tokens to talk to us, um, it's going to be very grim for them because they they're going to be propped up again to try to try to corral us, and when that doesn't work, they're going to get their heads cut off and be replaced by someone else, and when that doesn't work, that person's head is going to get cut off, and it's it's just going to be this continuous thing until it all comes to head. At least from my perspective, I don't see. The Democrats wising up. I don't see the left wising up. So I think this is just going to be a thing where it, it all has to crumble. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm an accelerationist myself. I feel that same way. Like I feel like you got to actually maybe speed up the uh, demise of all this. You know, so so to me, when I see things like other people ruining their own credibility just to keep doubling down, like when I see Mark Lamont Hill, I don't know if you saw Mark Lamont Hill or Jamel Hill. Uh, having Patrice Cullors on and giving her softball interviews, and then people yeah. started turning on them. Like, come on, like, what are you talking about? She's got four houses and no results, you know. And I'm like, wow. So, is Mark Lamont Hill really going to tank his own credibility just to, you know? And I think they're really going to. These people are really prepared to just double and triple down and make their whole brand of uh, black excellence or bourgeois black politics you know into a total joke well i mean this is the thing that has worked their whole lives like they they have gone through this where you know they've had a bad election cycle and then you know they disappear into the 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 shadows and just reappear the next election cycle saying the same thing and everyone forgot that you know this person was a problem you know they just kind of expect that to happen again they expect us to go away and and forget now, for the masses, that that's what's happening. But for uh, us that have been kind of like tapped in, that are like political junkies, you know, we're saying enough is enough. We're not going away. They they're just going to have to keep dealing with us, and we're going to keep saying the same thing to the public. And the thing is, is while they're in the shadows, hiding until the next election cycle, um, we are actually spreading our message, and they're going to be dealing with more of us by by the time. Uh, the midterms are in full swing. By the time, uh, you know, the next presidential election is in full swing, they're going to have a problem on their hands. And a lot of them are not not going to see it coming because they're so comfortable with this this mode that they've they've been going through this whole time in politics. I think they're also pretty comfortable with this idea that um, Biden won all the big plans for access and getting put on that they had. Uh, in 2016 when they thought Hillary was going to win, it's almost like a snooze alarm or dusting off the manuscript or whatever. I think they mm-hmm. just think it's going to be uh, picking up where they left off. Okay, we have to put things on hold, but now I can publish my anti-racist book that I had in the in the, um, in the in the drafts. I can, you know, pick up where I left off with this grift. And I think the situation on the ground is not where it was in 2016. And a lot of them don't know how to deal with it, but they feel almost entitled uh, to their shot to grift. So they're like yeah. a- angry at black people for, um, you know, <laughs> not just swallowing what they, 
what they uh, are shoveling. Like they feel like, you know, entitled to this kind of uh, blind support, but it it's not that anymore. It was that like what got you here is not going to get you there. It's a different it's a different game now. When you said that they're angry, all I envisioned was Roland Martin calling us stupid. Yeah, because <laughs> that's essentially what he does. He goes on his show and he calls black people stupid, and then he acts like he's representing us when he talks to white people. Um, in in talking about all of this, though, the the one group that I'm really curious about, as far as like how they move forward, um, is kind of like, and I don't want to make it seem like I, I'm on the like I'm with the battle of the sexist stuff because I never really talk about that type of stuff. But I think that during this election cycle, we saw like black women kind of, kind of, you know, try to um, wrangle out of out of uh, Biden and, and the Democrats the fact that you know they have a certain level of power in politics. But looking at what's happening now, it hasn't really paid off. So, what exactly does like this this group of black women who you know they they uh, you know they 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 they've been like uh, labeled as the the group that has saved the country, saved our democracy, and all this stuff. But they haven't actually received anything for it. What exactly does that group look like the next election cycle? Yeah, you know that's a really good that's a really good question. That's a really good question. Um, I mean, there's a couple of groups like I I wonder about. Like I wonder about them, and maybe you could kind of run down and speculate on what we think is going to happen with different groups. Like, and since you brought that one up uh, first, we should probably start with that. But I would also wonder, like, what's going to happen with the um, ADOS space? Because I feel like that's kind of in flux right now. And it seems to, um, you know, try and, trying to find like a new a new normal. There's um, Pan-African we could talk about as as well. And and Black leftists and white... If we can even talk about... about where white left is going to go from go from here as well, but um, starting with the black feminist space, one thing I find kind of interesting is I feel like in general that space is kind of losing steam because I feel like white women have so co-opted uh, intersectionality, it's kind of become like the new book club feminism. Like it's yeah. kind of been rendered so so toothless and. You know, even Hillary Clinton's campaign started tweeting about intersectionality, and and now like uh, intersectionality just seems to be a coalition of different races of feminists with white women slow, slowly, imperceptibly having taken the lead on that. Like they've and they just give a couple of spots to different women of different races. But I feel like intersectionality, at least like the mainstream version of it, has been kind of co-opted and absorbed by the old school white feminism like like it just it just become a, a more diverse version of white feminism feminism so, and i don't know if you've um if you feel if you feel the same or if you if you, it looks different to you but I, I feel like now what it's about now is what they call anti-racism and what ibram the ibram kendi guy's doing i feel like yeah. that's the new kind of hot thing uh in uh the kind of so-called woke, kind of woke spaces and intersectionality is kind of gone. Intersectionality is kind of just um, absorbed by white feminism. 
it's funny because I thought we were doing anti-racism this whole fucking time. <laughs> I, I didn't know, like, it was a new, new concept. I thought that's what we were supposed to be doing in this country. But as far as, like, the the feminist thing, um, or here's here's what I'm wondering. Like, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, but I'm wondering, is that going to translate to the Black women on the ground? Are they going to stop supporting you know, these these black feminist figureheads that, that are, you know, pushing the stuff and, and corralling them to go uh, vote for the Democratic Party for, for to get no, to gain nothing out of the whole transaction. Are they going to stop listening to those people or are they going to continue on because they're so um, committed to, you know, this this concept of uh, representation, you know? Well, here's what I think. Here's what I think about that. You can tell me what you think. I think black women in general are in love with the Democratic Party, but I don't think they actually care much about these uh, black feminists or intersectional feminists. And the reason why I think that the most concrete example I could think of is what happened with um, Elizabeth Warren. Like Elizabeth Warren got all those people. She got all the That's Black true. Lives Matter people, she got every single intersectional academic, every single social justice type, everybody with half a shaved head, anybody, <laughs> like she got all those types in her camp. They all put the uh, toothpaste green Aquafresh background on their uh, Twitter <laughs> AVs, whatever. And she got destroyed, like, yeah. not just destroyed in general, but destroyed in the Black vote. Like, I think she came in like, fifth or something in the black like something ridiculous and new york times even did a article about it but that uh Asti wesley guy where he talked about how she got all these people and in north carolina everybody voted for joe biden uh those people could not get black people on the ground um uh, to vote including including black women like like they i always yeah. joke that to me they're like um, the person who's standing in front of the waves, um, moving their arms, acting like they're controlling the waves. Like the waves are doing what they want, and they're trying to fool someone to thinking like, "Hey, I'm controlling these. I make the waves come in. Like you know, uh, pay me. You know what I mean?" So um, mm. I feel like black women have like I feel like there's two distinct um, phenomenons we're talking about. We're talking about um, black women being beholden to the Democratic Party. And that, I think, is going to continue, and I don't know if that's going to change. Um, and then there's uh, Black women being beholden to these Black feminists, and my answer to that is I think they were never beholden to the Black feminists. I think these Black feminists... Uh, the second thing they did is after everybody that they tried to cape for uh, failed with the Black community, then they all started campaigning to work with Joe Biden. And Joe yeah. Biden didn't pay him any mind. Joe Biden was like, new phone, who this? I don't know who you are. And Joe <laughs> Biden got the black vote fine i think that you're right actually i i probably was conflating two different groups um because i was thinking about like that push that they had to to get a black woman vp and i was like i, I completely for some reason i completely uh blacked out that whole part where they all coalesced around elizabeth warren and it didn't amount to anything so yeah i have to i have to agree all right y'all so that is the end of part one. Go to, again, patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two. Be good.